it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. That's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Tony Miola is coming up in 15 minutes. Why? The biggest U.S. soccer game in maybe ever is straight ahead against Iran until the next one. If they win, the next one will be bigger. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, I'm doing a big event with him on uh, in the great city of Jacksonville on Saturday, Saturday night. And that's going to be great. And it's going to be, it's called Operation uh, Operation New Uniform Gala at the Sawgrass Marriott in Ponte Vedra, Florida. There's some tickets still available. So I hope to see everybody out there. I'll be emceeing, but he'll be the featured speaker. Uh, so you know you're going to get some insight and some motivation. So uh, meanwhile, we have a lot to discuss. The president of the United States is going to be in Michigan. Well, believe it or not, Governor Whitmer won four more years. I can't believe it. Going to be talking about green energy, which brings me to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. Are you okay to be representing a country that has so much discrimination against black people in its own borders? You know, there's discrimination uh, everywhere you go. In the U.S., we're we're continuing to make progress. As long as you see progress, uh, that's the most important thing. That is such a great answer by the captain of the U.S. national team with a hostile Iranian, uh, pretend Iranian uh, journalist uh, going over the U.S. because the U.S. Uh, took out the emblem in the middle of the Iranian flag as a homage to all those protesters. Well, Tyler Adams and the pre- and the coach had to take the fire yesterday, and they did did it brilliantly. USA versus Iran today, all about soccer, but it's so much beyond the World Cup and so much into politics. We'll discuss. Number two. Why is it that President Biden would rather let U.S. companies drill for oil in Venezuela than here in the U.S.? That's uh, not an accurate take uh, on the president's view. That is a total accurate take. John Kirby, the spin machine, oil and gas and going green. That's the Biden agenda. Only we go green and other nations get to drill. Admiral Kirby's justification for dealing with Venezuela is a joke, just like not supporting rioters in Brazil and not and putting a convicted criminal back in power there, as well as China, which brings me to the next topic. Number one. This is the first time in 33 years that we've now seen nationwide protests. And it's not just a problem or the challenge for Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party is it's moved from just a one issue COVID issue to now a call for his removal and for regime change. Uh, There you go. And that was the former DNI director. China's insane COVID lockdown results in an unprecedented nationwide revolt. What should the U.S. say and do for President Biden? No action is his action. And that says a lot. First off, I I just see three events and I just cannot believe that this administration is the one that's supposed to bring us back traditional American values overseas. We used to have the debate on how aggressive to be when you see uprisings happen in places 1956 in Hungary and uh, 1967 in the Czech Republic when they're trying to get uh, Czechoslovakia when they were trying to get free from the iron grip of the Soviet Union. 
And then we find out that, you know, we don't want to get involved in everything, but we should always speak up for freedom and liberty. Even if we're not going to fight there, we should be a beacon of hope there. Understand the Constitution can be the template. The Declaration of Independence can be the go sign. And that couldn't happen. I'm not saying that we should go and put fighters or advisors uh, and guerrilla fighters in, and not saying let's revisit Vietnam and uh, Korea. But I'm just saying when you see corruption that seems to have happened in Brazil and a 74-year-old convict who got out of jail 10 years early, that they changed the Constitution to a make him eligible to run, who wins an election that has the biggest protests because no one believes it was an on-the-level production uh, election. And we don't say a word except to back the convict in this guy, Lula, who trained under Fidel Castro. And then you have Maduro, the president of the United States, says, yeah, let's get him back into the family of nations. Let's let him start drilling oil. Let's send Chevron down there. And then China has these protesters rise up in 15 second provinces, many of them asking for liberty and some freedom. At least we could say they need to be treated, these, these uprisings, these people need to be treated with respect. They don't have the guns, uh, but they need to be treated like human beings. And then the same thing happens in Iran. And even President Obama came out and said, listen, I made some mistakes. One of the mistakes was not getting fully behind the uprising in Iran in 2008 because I thought it was in our better interest to stay quiet and not be the symbol and not be an excuse for Iran to crack down on those who rose up. Okay, understood. So President Biden was vice president at that time. Now he's not doing anything anywhere. But Admiral Kirby, this is him speaking up, I guess, for Chinese protesters. Cut three. Why is the White House's line that everybody has the right to peacefully protest and not the U.S. thinks it's bad to lock people up in their houses to stop COVID? We've we've made it clear, Peter, that... uh, uh, a, a, a lockdown is, is not a policy that, that uh, we're, we're going to support here. But obviously there are people in China that, that have, a, have concerns about that, and they're protesting that, and we believe they should be able to do that peacefully. That is hardly the backing that I thought we were going to give, that I think we should give. I understand that China is not going to get overthrown because some students and some middle-class People are frustrated with their apartment complex and being sealed indoors and having their kids taken from them randomly because they won the parent or the child might be tested positive. The squalor conditions, the lack of free market principles, the concentration camps for all Uyghurs, the Hong Kong freedom fighters all jailed. They're obviously going to persevere over this, but at least we can make it clear what we have. The opportunity to rise up, stand up, and speak out because we want our government to be better. And we could say that this is how it works. doesn't mean we're perfect. It means that we have an opportunity to express ourselves and reach our potential whenever that may be. I don't know why that's so hard to say, especially from a former admiral, retired admiral, I guess, technically. Here's Eldridge Colby. He's a former deputy assistant secretary of defense over the administration that President Biden criticizes endlessly. Cut seven. I think it's I think it's pretty pathetic. And for an administration and it's sort of a political movement that is all about sort of moralistic preening, not to be able to do the basics here. I think it's almost disqualifying morally. Why we should why should we listen to them about anything at all if they're not willing to do this sort of basic thing on the most important thing? But when it actually touches, as you point, the core interests of the group, many of the groups that they really represent. So the other major story is Venezuela. Now, Juan Guaido is the I guess the exile leader. 
They don't have real elections. This bus driver took over for Julio Chavez, who was a communist trained under guess who? Uh, Castro is fueled by Russia and Iran and China to a degree. He dies of cancer. Maduro takes over. He has no qualifications. He's just a clown, an oppressive one without conscience. And we decided that we're going to isolate this guy. He's uh, destroyed a company, destroyed a economy. He's nationalized all the oil fields and industries. He's kicked out our corporations and all free market principles. So we're going to stop having negotiations and, and relations with him. We're going to ask our allies to recognize Juan Guaido. And now that President Trump lost, this administration does nothing. But the first thing we hear is when oil prices go up, why don't you guys start drilling again? I know it's dirty oil that we really cannot use except for trucks. But why don't you drill again? Maybe bring the price down. You used to put 3 million barrels of oil on the market. Let's get back to that. Now you're down to what, uh, 500,000, maybe 250,000 a day? Why don't we get back to 3 million a day? Well, we have no infrastructure. We've got to rebuild everything. Chevron's owed $4 billion. They just took it and just ignored it. They let everything else rot. So they go ahead and say they do it while they're telling all us here no more drilling. No more drilling. Heat the President Biden. We can pull back that soundbite at some point. President Biden making it clear at a couple of events right before the midterm elections. Yeah, I don't drill anymore. I don't, don't yell at me, heckler. I don't drill anymore. But listen to John Kirby. Take the question from Peter Ducey and erroneously parry it. Cut 10. Why is it that President Biden would rather let U.S. companies drill for oil in Venezuela than here in the U.S.? That's uh, not an accurate take uh, on the president's view. Earlier this month, he said no more drilling. There is no more drilling. The president has issued 9,000 permits for drilling on U.S. federal lands, Peter, 9,000 of them being unused. There are plenty of opportunities for oil and gas companies to drill here in the United States. You've discouraged all financing of all those leases. You've made it almost impossible with these environmental groups to get even anything in the ground, plus the experimental way in which this is done. You drill thinking, hoping things uh, there's oil underneath, but you don't know. So how do you get the investment when you discourage Wall Street to get away when they have this massive push by this administration to stop fossil fuels? 9,000 leases mostly issued under previous administrations. That is a total parry, P-A-R-R-Y. So... When we come back, someone who knows a thing or two about parrying, one of the most outstanding goalkeepers America's ever produced, a two-time World Cup star, Tony Miola, uh, offers his preview of the Iran game and what is at stake in this win-or-go-home contest in the World Cup. Don't miss a minute. Brian Kilmeade Show. No more drilling. There is no more drilling. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. It's going to happen at 1 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, that's the pregame. And then it is going to the first kickoff is at 2 o'clock. And it's going to be in Qatar. And it's going to be the third and final game in group play. The winner of this game, if the U.S. does beat Iran, uh, if the U.S. does beat Iran, they will advance to the knockout round of 16. One win, they'll get to the group of eight. And that might be uh, further than they've done in modern history. 
So we're going to be joined by Tony Miola, who is uh, the former World Cup captain. Uh, Tony, welcome back. Hey, Brad, how are you, man? Exciting day here for uh, U.S. soccer fans. A little bit nerve-wracking, to be honest, to tell you the truth. And I'm talking to a guy that was on the U.S. national team in 1994 and 2002. So do you your feeling now, knowing how much you're pulling for these guys, and playing in the game, can you compare the two? Oh, man, it's so much easier playing. Cause you're, really? Because you're, uh, you're so focused, right? It's your job. Now you're just a fan, and you know how fans are around the world. You just – you want the group to do well. You're rooting for them, yeah. But playing with playing for me was was so much easier. What you you really weren't thinking about all the outside noise. I mean, you're only you got one mission, right? Here here we're thinking about who's starting, who's playing, who's you know what is Iran gonna you know how, how they're gonna line up, how they're gonna attack the game. Like you, there, you're just focused on the job. But man, it, it's a uh, it, it's a nerve wracking day for sure. So what do you know about the Iranian coach, Carlos Koresh? He was your coach. Here's what he said yesterday when asked about the game and the politics around it. Cut 21. I understand your questions uh, and the stories that uh, U.S. professionals you need to bring. But tomorrow, Iran play against uh, U.S. Two uh, teams that they only have one wish, one goal, uh, and one ambition in mind, which is to go to the second round. Let's enjoy that party. Let's enjoy the show. Let's uh, be sure that uh, when we finish the game, when we finish the game, that the Iranian fans, they are proud of us. The U.S. fans, they are proud of us. And football, special football, is proud of us. And let's make tomorrow one more day that football uh, win, win credibility, well, if number one, what does he really mean when he says that? I mean, is it possible to enjoy the game? Is he going to enjoy that game? Well, yeah, if you know it's history, right? As you mentioned, I, I played for him in New York. I've spent, I've spent the years going to visit him. He was coaching in Columbia. They used to come and play in Miami uh, quite a bit. Another friend of mine was coaching there. So I spent a lot of time with Kirosh, and I, I, I've kept in touch with him over the years. Um uh, today I won't be rooting for him, but I think I, I think what he's saying. Look, you, you, I don't think it's a secret what's going on in in uh, Iran right now, and, and some of the things that are happening there. And I I think for for most of the players, what you've heard is, hey, we get that there's other things going on in Iran. We get that there's other things going on in the U.S. Um, but for 90 minutes, let's kind of focus on. Uh, what we're here to do, and that's that's enjoy football match, and that's how I've approached this entire World Cup. Because let's face it, right? There's been controversies about Qatar even having this World Cup. So um, I, I think everyone has all of the all of that stuff in the back of their mind, Bry. But for a little while, we're we're going to kind of uh, try and escape mm-hmm. it a little bit and enjoy what these athletes uh, have brought to us, and that's that's nothing but you know, joy over the last couple of weeks. And, and for a few more weeks, they'll do the same. So, so Tony, who's better? I mean, you just to, for an analyst perspective, I know who you want to win and you know, the U S has to win, but who's better. I think the U S is a better squad altogether. I think there's that when you look at the pieces of the puzzles for each team, uh, you got two forwards for Iran that are really, really dangerous. And that's uh Taremi and Osmoon, the, the two number nine and number 20. You'll see them today. Um, they are missing one of their players due to suspension, so that's that's going to be a, a massive, uh, let's call it a plus for the U.S. And the U.S. is healthy right now. With that said, you know you've got a really experienced Iran side. So the, when at one point you when you have a young team like the U.S., Brian, you always kind of think like 
that part's going to creep up. Is it in the gamesmanship? Is it in managing a game at the end, which maybe we saw a little bit against Wales in the first match? Uh, but if you're just talking roster against roster, I think for sure most people would pick the U.S. roster over Iran. Uh, but this is a knockout right. game. And if you're a March Madness fan, you, you everyone knows what could happen in one game. So the other thing is with Wales, their goalie got tossed, red carded. That had a lot to do with the fact they lost. So when you're playing, the goalie just by nature, no, most parents don't want their kids to play goal, Tony. You're the goalie. Because they're always afraid <laughs> their kid's on the line every single day. You never felt nerves like that knowing that if you make a mistake, you come out for a ball, it goes over your head. Clearly, it's, if it's a goalie mistake, you think, now we go home. i got to take that plane ride and live with this the rest of our lives. How do you get those negative thoughts out of your head? Brian, I'm, I'm more nervous talking to you doing an interview than I was when I was playing. That's just nuts to me. Just because, well, when you're an athlete or, or a performer, you don't really you don't really know. Like at that time, you're not really thinking about anything else. You know, like this is and, – and if you're confident in what you do, you – you always think that you're going to get the job done, right? And that doesn't always work out that way. I understand, but um, I just it, look—it's a position, right? You're on an island, and and I think for me, right. and I think for most goalkeepers I've spoken to, that's the beauty of the position—the hero or the goat. Like, there's no really in the middle with goalkeepers, right? Well, the other, the other um, thing is, get Tony real quick. I'm about a minute left. Uh, how do you, if a team just wants to pack it in and not and just go for the tie? What's the one thing tactically our listeners could get from this to see how to how to make them come out and play and maybe loosen up the defense a little, get that goal? You're, you're, you're going to see that today, by the way. That's that's where Iran was good against Wales. So you'll see all their defenders within 40 to 45 yards of their goal. So that means there's a lot of space behind the U.S. defense. So they push you forward, push you forward, and then when the ball turns over, they try and get behind you really, really quick. That That's the one tactic I think absolutely Carlos Caros will employ today because it worked so well against Wales. When he tried to press England, they were stretched all over the field and England just picked them apart. I think the U.S. has that ability. Uh, that's why I don't think Iran will stretch themselves and press all over the field for 90 minutes. You just need a quick goal to make them play uh, play straight up. Would you play Reina today, the 19-year-old, former, uh, who's the son of a former teammate of yours? Yeah, I would play him. I don't know that I would start him based on how this team has performed. Um, in the beginning of the tournament, I would say absolutely yes. But today, I, I don't know that I would start him unless there's some type of injury someplace. And um, But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much time he gets. Real quick, Tony, prediction? Yeah, the U.S. gets through. I'm going to say 2-1. Uh, it. it seems like this, you know, the score, but let, let's hope. Fingers crossed, Brad. Go get him. Uh, Tony Miller, we'll all be watching. Uh, Kickoff time, 2 p.m. Eastern. Thanks, Tony. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we're back. one 866 Let's bring Lieutenant Colonel uh, Alan West. Uh, he is the author of Hold Texas, Hold the Nation. We're going to be doing an event together coming up soon. I can't believe it's here, December 3rd. It'll be Saturday at Sawgrass Marriott at Ponte Vedra, Florida on December 3rd. Uh, so that'll be Saturday night. Operation New Uniform. It's a gala, and there's some tickets available all for a great cause. And what a great mindset to have, a great mindset to have on Giving Tuesday you go to BrianKillMe.com and just click on, you'll see for tickets there. It's, uh, you'll see it right there. Uh, Colonel, welcome back. 
good to be with you, Brian. I'm stoked. Looking forward to seeing you. Now, are you wearing a tux? Yeah, they make it. Yeah, you know, I hate doing the the uh, penguin thing, but I'll I'll have on the tux. But I'm wearing a long black tie, no bow tie. I don't do bow ties, man. Really? Okay. Everyone takes a stand for different things. Uh, I, you know, but you're the type of guy you could actually wear a uniform. That gets you out of everything. Well, uh, the military allows us to wear our our medals and regalia on uh, on a civilian tux, so that's what I'll be doing. Okay, good. Uh, so, Colonel, I, I got to ask you about uh, what's going on right now uh, in the world. We're not taking a stand for anything. Yeah. I'm for not meddling. I don't want to go to war with 25 countries, but there's right or wrong. There's people standing up for freedom in Iran. We say nothing. People standing up for the corruption that stole an election and gave it to a criminal, this guy Lula in Brazil. We say nothing. In fact, we praise Lula. Next, we have a situation in Venezuela where we're trying to get to rebuild their oil infrastructure while Iran and, and China are having the majority. And Cuba are pretty much running Maduro's government. It's unthinkable. And we know we're ignoring things in China saying, well, everybody knows if you're chanting for freedom, we support you. Uh, how do you explain this foreign policy? Well, it's, it goes beyond laissez-faire foreign policy. It's very dismissive. It's very disconcerting. But this is just a continuation of the foreign policy we saw with Barack Obama. Barack Obama sided with the Muslim Brotherhood over the protesters in, in Egypt. Barack Obama didn't support Iran. And so Joe Biden was his vice president. And so why would we think anything would change? But when you listen to uh, John Kirby and his response to why this Biden administration is not speaking out, he's like, uh, you know, we don't want to be the voice of the protesters. Well, either we stand for something or else we, we stand for nothing. And I think that's one of the concerns is the weakness that the world sees from the Biden administration is really enticing and is encouraging despot dictators and autocrats. And the fact that we won't restart our old oil and gas industry here, that we're telling Chevron that they can go and, and drill down in, in Venezuela, that makes no sense whatsoever. So I wanted you to hear what Kirby said when asked about the reaction to these riots in 15 uh, the 15 uh, provinces inside China. What is the president's reaction when he hears protesters in China chant freedom or Xi Jinping step down? The president's not going to speak for protesters around the world. They're speaking for themselves. And so there's no reaction? These protesters are speaking for themselves. What we are doing is making it clear that we support the right of peaceful protest. Does that help? <laughs> I mean, is that leadership? No, it doesn't. No, it's not leadership. But then Barack Obama said that we're going to leave from behind, which down south we call that following. But compare and contrast this to Ronald Reagan when he stood there at the Brandenburg Gate and said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You're not going to get that from Joe Biden. We didn't get that from uh, Barack Obama. What we did get was a strong foreign policy with Donald Trump, and we did not see all of these uprisings. We did not see all of these problems. We did not see Russia going into Ukraine. But that is a repeat from what happened during the Obama administration. So without a doubt, the foreign policy uh, from Barack Obama and Joe Biden are consistently weak in every single way, shape, Inform. And furthermore, remember uh, during the Obama administration when we had U.S. Navy sailors on a riverine uh, assault boat, uh, they were on their knees at gunpoint from the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. This is the path that we're on right now. It is. Uh, this is how Janice Mackey uh, Freer of MSNBC described what was happening in China. Cut nine. 
What we're seeing is the potential for a national movement here with these protests uh, happening simultaneously in multiple cities across the country. These people rallying around a single cause. But at the same time, there is not the expectation that organizers are going to be able to organize. They are trying to use coded messages on social media, uh, trying to evade the censors and also using other techniques. The, the problem now is that there are police everywhere. You go to any of the sites of the protests over the past few days and uh, streets that have been filled with people chanting are now uh, filled with barriers and uh, they're all under guard. Police fanned out today in several cities across the country and they are visibly clamping down. In Shanghai, they were even checking people's mobile phones, looking for images or messaging apps that could connect a person to the protests. And there was a lot of talk about that on social media today among people who are interested in joining these protests, saying that they were deleting photos and chat histories so they could avoid detention. And holding up white pieces of paper so they can't say anything they do is, uh, could say, derogatory against the government. I mean, do these, these people have any hope? They've already created concentration camps for one group of people. They've got rid of uh, Hong Kong. They just took it and broke a treaty. Do the, if, you're, if you're a Chinese citizen, do you have any hope today? It's very hard because you feel isolated from the world. This is a, a totalitarian communist state. And one of the things that a president, a strong president, should be doing is going to the United Nations right now saying, we demand that you kick Russia and China off of the U.N. Uh, Permanent Security Council. Uh, if you don't, the United States will withdraw, and we will definitely withdraw all of our financial support to the United Nations. What, where's, where's the United Nations in all of this? Uh, they were supposed to uh, make sure that things like this did not happen post-World War II. But again, when you have this type of abject weakness that is being displayed by this administration, to include the threats that have come from Iran uh, as our soccer team gets ready to play them today at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Channel, uh, you don't hear anything coming from uh, President Biden, who didn't even realize that U.S. and England had played each other and tied 0-0. I didn't realize that. He didn't even keep up with that? No. No, he was asked about it, and he looked uh, dumbfounded. What else is he doing? I mean, uh, unbelievable, staying for free at somebody else's house. He's eating ice cream. Still. Uh, so this is uh, this is what John Kirby trying to correct the record. Cut ten. Why is it that President Biden would rather let U.S. companies drill for oil in Venezuela than here in the U.S.? That's uh, not an accurate take uh, on the president's view. Earlier this month, he said, "No more drilling. There is no more drilling." <laughs> the president has issued. 9,000 permits for drilling on U.S. federal lands, Peter, 9,000 of them being unused. There are plenty of opportunities for oil and gas companies to drill here in the United States. Is that true? The, the thing that this is the lie of omission that comes from John Kirby, who is really an embarrassment to all of us that wore the uniform, is that it is the regulations and the permitting, uh, the, the hoops that they have to go through. You can say that you open it up, but the things that these companies have to go through does not allow them to do so. Uh, and so, again, why did the president, first week he came into office, was to undermine the oil and gas industry, shut down the Keystone XL pipeline, but he supported the, the Russian pipeline. 
and we're no longer a net exporter. We're no longer energy independent. But yet he's saying that Chevron can go down to Venezuela and drill for the dirty crude oil instead of opening up what we have here in Texas. Yeah, so and and that's got to be just a, a kick in the teeth uh, to people in Texas uh, that are going through this right now. When you talk about what's going on, I know you didn't grow up with soccer like I did, but are you glued to yeah. the television today at 2 o'clock? I will probably be checking it out. i got to catch a flight to go up to speak at the University of Iowa tomorrow, but I will definitely be paying attention to it on my phone. But uh, I think this is this is an incredible and important uh, match, uh, and it really is one of those highly politicized matches. I think the last time we faced Iran was back in 1996. You might want to check my numbers, but the same thing is is highly politicized. And I can't understand why FIFA put this uh, match in in Qatar anyhow in the first place with all their right. human rights violations. But the thing is, too, you got to admire these athletes. They did not sing the national anthem, wanted to dip their heads, and their families were threatened. They'll be jailed and tortured if they demonstrate again. So they basically stood and kind of lip, you could just kind of went through the motions on their national anthem. Turns out, according to reports, Qatar officials are throwing out any Iranian in there or anybody protesting Iran out of the stadium. That's incredible. I mean, so FIFA has granted the one of the, the biggest sporting events in the world to a country that suppresses free speech. Uh, and let's not even talk about, you know, the, the slave camps pretty much so that they have that enable all of those stadiums to be built. This is it's an embarrassment. And, and again, we don't stand up to these dictators, theocrats, and autocrats, and, and that's something we have to do. And sadly, when you listen to the words of John Kirby, the United States of America is just following and, and not leading in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Yeah, I mean, look, he's got to re- he's got to be the spokesperson for the president. But if they told me that that's the president's policies, I don't go out. He moved over to the White House. So he's the one who yeah. wanted to do this. So Tony Snow believed in what Bush was doing when they met first. So if it wasn't his policies, he understood where it came from. So I can't give him an excuse just because his State Department's awful and the president's checked out. He shouldn't have taken the job. So for an admiral to get to his height in his career and say this stuff is is really mind-boggling. Uh, but I'll let you hop on your plane, Colonel. I'll see you on Saturday. I look forward to seeing you. And always remember, if you're a true veteran, you honor your oath to the, uh, support and defend the Constitution regardless. John Kirby has turned his back on his oath to support and defend the Constitution. Thanks so much, Colonel Allen West. Appreciate it. When we come back, your turn, one 866 We'll talk about that as well as uh, Herschel Walker uh, going up against it, trailing by just a little to Raphael Warnock. What does he have to do to close out the deal? He will not be inviting President Trump. He is calling 1-800-BRIAN-KEMP, though. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. That was a that was a horrific night, uh, as you can imagine. You know, there's many nuances and complexities to it. You know, but at the end of the day, I just I lost it. And I guess what I would say 
you just never know what somebody's going through. You know, in the, in the audience right now, you know, you're sitting next to uh, strangers and somebody's mother died last week. Somebody's child is sick. Somebody just lost their job. Somebody just found out their spouse cheated. You know, there's, it's like there's all these things and these, there's strangers and you just don't know what's going on with people. And I was going through something that night. Not that that, you know, justifies my behavior yeah, at all. No, no, I would just say, you know, you're asking what did I learn? It's that we just got to be nice to each other, man. You know, it's like, it's hard. And I guess the thing that was most painful for me is I took my heart and made it hard for other people. You know, right. and it's like I understood the idea where they say hurt people hurt people. Yeah. Well, look, uh, number one. I think the last one was it. Uh, obviously, you don't know if somebody's mother died one day or the, your wife cheated. So the, it's got to be you know, ding, 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 ding. Number one, also, he probably had a few drinks. Will Smith talking about his new movie saying, listen, the new movie that came out, they say the new movie is fantastic. Emancipation, you know exactly what it is, slavery and, uh, and all that stuff. They, they go through again. So he probably does a great job. He's a great actor. Please name one movie he was bad in. I can't name it. He punched, uh, he slapped uh, Chris Rock in the craziest thing I've ever seen in a live event, maybe in your lifetime. Chris Rock will not apologize, will not acknowledge it, be still ticked about it. I understand it. So he sits there and says, I shot this movie even before I did the Richard Williams movie, played the Richard Williams role. So what do I do? I got to go out and explain to people that don't hold it against the movie if you don't like me or mad at me. Plus, he's not only a good actor, isn't he like the best actor? Isn't he one of the, the top five actors in the country? I think so. I, I mean, mean, prior to all the Oscar stuff, yeah, yeah. I mean, he has, you know, he does it all. He does the action, he does romantic comedies, yeah. he does serious dramas. He's likable, but he's, yeah. but he's, you know, so, so he's been famous for 30 or 40 years. So now his kids can't get jobs. Uh, his wife's probably can't get a job or the job she rolls. He can't get any new roles, even though he's a bankable star. So he's got to rehab. If I was him, I would flood the zone. I would do the E channel. I would do this channel. I would go MSNBC. Who's going to turn that? Will Smith wants to come on. Who's going to turn him down? So you're saying Will Smith, come well, on the Brian Kilmeade show, One Nation, Fox and Friends. If you put him in the green room, yeah. I would have him on. Not right away. Yeah. I would put him on like 20 after. I'd still want to get my big three in. Indeed. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. You wouldn't blow out a whole hour. Or if like I was doing do More to Know and it was some good ones. Yeah. I think he was in More to Know today. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So I think that he's got to just flood the zone and just flood, just go, hey, I'm still Will Smith. I went through a few things. I was totally wrong. I can't believe I did it. The more I think about it. And the thing about this, think about all these people that got up at the awards and praised him. Mm-hmm. Denzel Washington. No one even checked on Chris Rock. Yeah. So... Those people that praised him. Then he goes to the after party. He still doesn't understand the backlash. By the next day, he's exiled from Hollywood. Yeah, he be, at another point in the interview, he said how he was sort of like in a, just like in a fog afterwards. Like, you know, his head wasn't in the right place. Um, he's, he was there. He said he flew 30 hours. He was shooting something for Nat Ge- National Geographic, doing something. I'm sure all these contracts were signed prior to the Oscars. So, I mean, he is still working. Well, I mean, prior to the Oscars. I, yeah, I'm sure that was signed right. prior. So, I mean, he'll get a job. He probably, you know, a lot of those guys who have this $100 million lifestyles, they need $100 million. Yeah, but the other regularly. thing, what's going to, if this movie does well, regardless of his, what happened at the Oscars, people are going to sign him again. But is he in the big screen or is this one of those streaming things? I don't know. So then, because you never really know how the streaming thing goes. True. You know, they just go, yo, it's very successful. Really? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Do you get subscribers at it? You know, 
different downloads. So me, I think out of everything that goes on in life that you hear about, I think this is recoverable. He's just, what he should do is not go away. He did his going away. So he does a daily show, which no one watches. Yeah, but apparently they're good friends. So it seems like they de- he definitely picked Trevor Noah knowing sure. that it would be a, you know, compassionate Well, I'm just saying it's, it's not like he went on the number. It's not like he sat down with Oprah. And then Oprah calls ABC, and then they spread it out. Actually, well, you, you sort of don't know. I have this other clip, if we want to play it. Um, Will talks about what his nine-year-old nephew said to him. Oh, okay. My nephew, Dom, is nine, and he is the sweetest little boy. He's like, you know, we came home, and it's like he had stayed up late to see his Uncle Will, you know. And we're sitting in my kitchen, and he's on my lap, and he's holding the Oscar, and he's just like, why did you hit that man, Uncle Will? You know, damn it. <laughs> why are you trying to Oprah me? <laughs> yeah. So listen, he feels bad. I mean, I, it's up, ultimately it's up to Chris Rock, but I just think he's just got to flood the zone. That's it. I mean, that's also assuming, though, he doesn't still have that little bit of an anger issue somewhere, right? If he sits down with a reporter that really gets under his skin and ticks him off, if he flies off the handle again, then it's a problem. Right. I don't know. I, I, my hunch, I have not heard this from anyone. Couple of beers, couple of drinks, you're a little ticked off anyway. You're having an argument with your wife. The next thing you know, you have a history with this guy. And then for some reason, you think it's okay to walk on stage and pop him. It's crazy. But there are worse things that could have been done. Thanks for listening. Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Uh, we got Raymond Arroyo in studio. If you're watching Fox Nation, you recognize Raymond from all around the channel. Uh, also, Jonathan Ward's going to be here. Jonathan Ward wrote the book, Chinese Vision of Victory. What about now? Did they predict what was happening now? Riots in 15 provinces? I don't think so. Uh, he is all, they're also going to do a, a Varney and company wants to do a simulcast with us. They want to see what I look like in person on television. <laughs> Raymond Arroyo knows what I look like. He's in studio. He's the author of The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. Uh, Raymond, welcome back. You look far better in person than you do on TV. Really? Do, oh, absolutely. Ten years younger. How do I feel about this? Is that, in other words, do you need a new TV? Do I need a I, new makeup artist? Well, I, I, I still I use rabbit ears, and it's a black and white, you know, uh, file, file co in the corner. The way so. I used to watch wrestling as a child That's on exactly UHF. Right. Yeah, the Fantastic. whole family gathers around. We every now and then the static breaks so I'm up not, and we uh, see you. Is this, is this Big Three sponsored, Eric? Or it isn't? Okay. So let me just tell you, I'm going to be talking about U.S. and Iran, uh, John Kirby at the White House of giving uh, oil and gas a pass when it comes to Venezuela, and then the China's insane COVID lockdown. But first things first, Raymond, when it comes to you, out of those three, what story resonates with you the most? The China story. Because China- it's because this is so, – I have great hope here. The- Great hope in for what? the protesters. Oh, absolutely. and to rattle them at the core and the foundation. Brian, I you, I have friends there. You as well. Um, you know, Jimmy Lai is a friend of mine. Uh, Cardinal Joseph Zen, who's Jimmy been tried, Lai's under arrest, right? Right, and in prison, and he could have easily escaped. He stayed. He kept funding. Oh, the, the newspaper self self made. Yeah, uh, he was the Rupert Murdoch of of Hong Kong, and he stayed. His family got out, but Jimmy stayed to defend and stand with his people. He thought Hong Kong was worth it. My friend Cardinal Zen, a 
90-year-old heroic uh, uh, Catholic cardinal, stood up for not only his faith and his people, but democracy. He was a leader in the movement. They've arrested him under this national security law. You can't keep suppressing people, particularly once they've tasted freedom their whole lives, and suddenly impose this regime on them. The, 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 eventually, Xi and his regime will be overthrown. How long that takes, who knows? Right. But people want to point to oh, America is having trouble. America's got challenges. Yeah, it got challenges. But if you look at what's going on in that country, <laughs> yeah. that economy, they've gotten rid of all the free market principles that somewhat fueled their success yeah. in the past. They can't employ people. 18 to 28-year-olds are almost all unemployed. Yeah. They have no ambition to go get a job. Yeah. They've killed off all their girls with the one-child policy for so long. Beginning to reverse yeah. it. But- and, and they have an aging population. So they've got real challenges in China that are systemic to their economic as well as their cultural well-being. I don't think it lasts long, but we'll see. We'll see. All right. So uh, with this uh, uprising that's taking place, they couldn't they couldn't predict it. But do you see the video of them walking through subways and trains, grabbing people's phones, try to see where they're located, no. what apps they have on their phones, if they have Telegram or anything else, no. they'll go to jail immediately? It's a total surveillance state. I mean, we have to be – we also have to be very careful of the things TikTok and these other apps that we're allowing our children in the United States to not only frequent but pour their personal information into. These are basically Chinese surveillance apps, and there are more than one of them. And they have infiltrated the American market. That should be stopped. You remember Mike Pompeo and Donald Trump tried to stop Huawei, tried to stop TikTok. Biden reversed some of that. He shouldn't have. It was a big mistake. Now he's he's reappraising it, but maybe too late. And you realize, of course, that Brazil, if Lula stays in power despite these protests, that is going to be a sycophant state to China. It gives him a foothold again in our hemisphere. And guess what? China's got huge influence in Venezuela as well. You bet. No, well, increasingly, you saw that this week where they're forgiving debt, they're rearranging the debt for the, for these countries. That is within our sphere of influence in our hemisphere. Again, the Biden administration should have stepped in very early on and solidified, particularly when you're trying to do oil. Now you're buying oil from Venezuela, from this dictatorship. Uh, if you're going to go that far, make sure you make real inroads there and you're protecting that part of our, our world from Chinese influence. It will breed danger, a dangerous ground in days to come. So they are considering right now, with all the stuff that you do every night on Laura Ingram, just pointing out things that we're seeing President Biden on a regular basis. It looks like all engines are are a go for a re-election at the age of 82. He's going to do it again. They say they're going to stop him. He's not going to have to go out and campaign. He's going to stay above it all like a statesman. He's going to let all his surrogates go out and run against whoever the Republicans put forward. Brian, I said this last time. I was wrong last time. I think I'm right this time. You can't run a campaign from weakness and in hiding. He did that one time because of COVID. He had all all the stars aligned for Joe Biden. Well, you have a decrepit guy. Look, I covered Joe Biden. He was a senator. He was a a source of mine on Capitol Hill. I knew Joe Biden. I saw him regularly. He was snappy. He was garrulous. Yeah, he was full of blarney, but he was on it. That is not the man we have today. He's angry today. Well, Most of the time he's angry. And greatly diminished. You just have to say cognitively diminished. He clearly is not keeping up. But this circle around him, Ron Klain and the others who are enabling this and holding this up, I just don't think they're going to be able to do that for another four years, six years. So you don't think he's running? I do think he's running, but but I don't think he can be victorious. Right. 
You can't have a proxy campaign. This is not 1802 where you can sit on your porch and wave at people. That's not going to go in a media age. And if America allows that to happen, they they deserve whatever leadership or lack thereof they get. I also think it's it's one of the main reasons Elon Musk can really benefit the country if he just allows Twitter to be a place of least balance. You know, and and rather than it being a place where Facebook and all the other social media apps are out there tearing people apart. Controlled communication. It's a bad thing. We need free speech. Uh, Not harmful speech, not hateful speech, not racist speech, but free speech. And at times it's going to be things you and I and others are going to disagree with. That's the nature of free speech. I I don't know if you've seen the study, but they did a study on everything I said, and most of it's right. (laughs) <laughs> Have you seen that study? No, I haven't. Yeah, I'm going to get it to Is you. it all right? Oh, so would you, can you get him this stuff before the segments? Cause What's this the ratio breakdown, Alex? Right, I'd like to see the I mean, just off the, the top of your head, do you remember, like from the pie chart I handed you? The Kilmeade family right. were the only people who took part That is in the not true. How dare you diminish the No, poll? no, I'm just asking. I was just wondering. Alex, what is the breakdown? I mean, Brian's always right, Raymond. Oh, always right. Okay, right. well, that makes it easy. Right. So listen, Thank you. you Thank you, you, Mrs. Gallup. You, you can't argue with numbers. <laughs> so, okay. Right. And what were those numbers again? I'm not sure. Okay. I, can't get, I can't get into it now. All right. So, Raymond, you wrote the book, The Wise Man Who Found Christmas. I you did. thought you'd write a tale that would inspire people during Christmas, but you stumbled into this thing called Facts and Myth. Yeah. Tell me the story. Well, I was looking uh, – years ago I wrote a book called The Spider Who Saved Christmas. It's a very sweet story. It's the reason we decorate trees with tinsel. Who knows where tinsel came from? It came from this old legend from the first century. And I retold it. It, it was a huge hit, seven weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. So my publisher said, hey, you got any other legends at Christmas? I said, well, I don't. So I started looking. I thought, well, the wise men, we don't know a lot about the wise men. I'll bet there's legends there. What I discovered – is that everything we thought we knew about the wise men, it's all legendary, Brian. You know the song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. No, you're not. They were not three. They were not from the Far East, and they were not kings. So once I – and how did I figure that out? First century sources, historians, Clement of Rome, you're a historian, Clement of Rome, Justin Martyr, writing during the time of Jesus, all of them say the wise men came from Arabia. Arabia was right on the other side of the Dead Sea from Jerusalem. It's a 300-mile journey. The headquarters of Arabia was a place called the Kingdom of Nabate, current-day Petra. Well, when I saw Kingdom of Nabate, I thought, my gosh, for a writer, this is like a story already telling itself. I've got to figure out what is this place? Where did these guys come from? Why were they there? As you pull back the story, you realize – Magi were consultants to kings. They were interpreters of dreams, star gazers, uh, theologians, mathematicians, and magicians. These these men particularly were very likely not only stargazers, but they were focused on the Jewish prophecies of a Messiah. Why? That only that starts to narrow the options. They were either uh, Persian priests, Zoroastrian priests, who, in their belief, these are the Iranians in the old Iranian belief. They do believe in a Messiah who vanquishes evil. So there was that. But more, the more likely prospect here is that these men were descendants of the first temple Jewish priesthood, expelled hundreds of years before Jesus, living in exile in Arabia, serving the king of Nabate. Once you see it in this historical lens, I, I said, my gosh, I've got to get families to rethink and just reimagine the historical reality because the story is more action-packed, more dangerous. That's still in Bethlehem? Still, still going to Bethlehem. Still wise men. There were more, there, look, 
The Syrian church says there were 12 wise men. Armenians say 12. The Coptic church says there were 60 wise men, six zero. So you, you, you got a big wide range there. But there certainly weren't three. The gospel only talks about three gifts, Brian. Says nothing about the number of wise men, just as wise men from the East. Well, the East was the immediate East, not the Far East. We think Asia, Africa, that's nonsense. There's no way those kings or people from there could have gotten through the political barriers and the Roman blockades to get to Bethlehem. It's impossible. Well, how did the drummer boy get through? Well, the drummer boy knew one of the wise men. He did. In Petra. Yeah. And he he was on part of the caravan. Right. Probably part of the caravan. You bring that drum, you can get in. You got to bring something to the table. Look, look, everybody with talent gets into Bethlehem. That's part of the Everybody knows. Yeah, Dizzy Gillespie was there too. But um, it, it is a uh, – when I, when I started digging in and I realized, look at the historic reality. These were two kingdoms. Ten, there was tension between them. Herod's mother was a princess, a Nabataean princess. So there's blood between Herod and this kingdom of Nabatea. There's also tension. So when the king of Nabatea hears from his wise men, there's a new Messiah to be born in Judea, he thinks Herod's got a new kid. So let's go go bring him some gifts for me to keep the peace. That's why they go. It's a royal diplomatic mission. But, but aren't the these two no-names, Joseph and Mary, are no-names? They're not Yeah, royalty. nobody knows who they are. All so, they knew was there was a star and there was a Messiah to be born. So would, did you go back uh, astronomically, and if that is a word? Yes, it pretty, astrologically. That I too. I, I, I do. use either way. Yes, they, well, the you're always tenses? right. So, of course, 90% accurate. You're right. right. Well, yeah. I mean, that's true. The study that has recent to be right. Gallup, right. Yeah. Right. It wasn't really Gallup. It was a, a sister of Gallup. Oh, right. Gallup. Yeah, Gallup, I know. Yeah. That was, that's what uh, the, exactly. the White House spokeswoman would have called it. Did you hear yesterday she called the Nobel Prize the Nobel Prize? <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, so yeah. I guess the Gallup and Gulap, well, yeah. that's fine. It's no problem. It was I, a Gulap poll. Just remind me, when I become president, I'm going to ask her to stay. Oh, that would be very be that, great. That would be good because right. then you could be your own spokesman like yeah, Trump. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I disclaimer. <laughs> I don't, does she ever met the president? I mean, she just comes out there and wings it. She has no idea what's She's happening. She's just reading. It's right. like papers. Here you go. Read this. Have a good time. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know quite what she's doing. None of it makes sense to me. Right. But you're right. Mary Joseph, there were no names. Nobody knew who they were. But Nobody was, knew who this child was. Was the star there? Yes. They do believe. I mean, the gospel. How else would us. you get? How else would people be attracted to that spot? Well, remember, it was a. They were reading the. the they were steeped in these Jewish prophecies. And the prophecy says. His scepter shall rise from Israel. Now, this is poetic language, but in their minds, the scepter is the star that rises in Israel. There it is. So they've been looking for the confirmation of the prophecy for hundreds of years. They see this bright light. Now, what was it? Was it a conjugation of planets coming together? Was it a comet? We don't know, Brian. And I talked to these astronomers. We even went down to a planetarium, and they recreated it in the ceiling for us for the Fox Nation special. Uh. You'll see it. Who knows what they saw? The fact is they saw something that made them go, wait a minute. The, the prophecy is coming to pass. But the fact is, and this is the lesson for us, all of us listening, watching, they got on their horses and they ran after the truth. They pursued Christmas. They went out to find it. We all take it for granted and wait for Christmas to come to us. No. We've got to be like these wise men. Keep your gaze set high right. on the things of God, not on the things of earth and the duties of the moment and all the crap surrounding us. Focus on the light and you'll find something interesting. Who's the book focused on for? It's for families. It's really for okay. everybody, four to 104. And I've got families reading it together. The adults are crying. The kids are having a great adventure. And there's an author's note in the back with a lot of my research to lead people. To By the way, that. Kissinger's 100, so he should get this book. 
Kissinger was one of the wise men. Point. How interesting that you brought that up. German? Yeah. Well, a German you know, wise man. Well, yeah, there's but, lots of them. And, well, know, the Gentiles came uh, into We're it. in between fact and fiction. That's where I spend most of my life anyway. No, he was not one of the wise men, but, but he, he is, was a wise but man. But he is eligible to get the book. Absolutely. That's my point. He would, was, he would gain something from reading The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. And there's huge gaps in Kissinger's knowledge. So this could fill that gap. We've been over that. Uh, by the way, guess who's here? Raymond Arroyo. His book, The Wise Men Who Found Christmas, is out. Uh, more with Raymond in just a moment. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So I want to get Raymond Arroyo's here. His book is now out. And you got to pick it up, especially for the holidays. The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. So do you know uh, Will Smith was out on The Daily Show yesterday? And you I, know, I saw that. So I want you to hear what he said. And tell me if you were him, where do you go from here? Uh-oh. That was, uh, that was a horrific night, uh, as you can imagine. You know, there's many nuances and complexities to it, you know. But at the end of the day, I just, I lost it. And I guess what I would say, you just never know what somebody's going through. You know, in the, in the audience right now, you know, you're sitting next to uh, strangers. And somebody's <laughs> mother died last week. Somebody's child is sick. Somebody just <laughs> lost their job. Somebody just found out their spouse cheated. You know, there's, it's like there's all these things and these, there's strangers and you just don't know what's going on with people. And so, there's, I was going through something that okay. night. So he doesn't want his movie to pay the price, his new movie to pay the price. Emancipation. How do you feel? If you're him, is he doing the right thing now? Come out. Well, the right thing is to come out and be contrite and say, look. I did a really stupid thing. I let anger get the best of me. I shouldn't have done what I did. There is no justification, Brian, for when you get upset. Imagine if at the Patriot Awards somebody said something I didn't like. I walk up on the stage and cold cock Pete Hegseth. This would not go down well, and I wouldn't have a job tomorrow. The very idea that we condone this kind of violence and say, well, you know, I was having a bad day. The fact is Will Smith didn't lose his mother or his child or a job. He was about to get – an Academy Award. So I find it very hard, very hard to swallow. That That's somehow, true. It's yeah. about to be the best day of your life and yeah, give yeah. tribute to a great family. And no one talks about Venus and Serena Correct. Williams. That was now. all brushed away. But look, his wife turned to him, gave him the, the, the fish eye and said, look, he just badmouthed me. You better go do something about this. And he got up like a like a Cold Stone killer and popped the hell so, out so of So do you blame her? I do blame her for part of it. Sure. I blame Chris. Rock. I, I blame them for basically uh, delivering violence on Chris Rock for a joke. And it was a joke. We all have to <laughs> laugh a little bit, Brian, <laughs> right. and get over ourselves. But when you were making hundreds of millions of dollars for reciting words you didn't write and getting statuettes and acclaim all over the world, I'm sorry. That's not so a bad So you don't like day. his explanation. That's I d- interesting. Yeah. I don't buy just the say, yeah, made a bit. The, the, the humble response is – I was an idiot. I should never have gotten out of the chair. I, right. I apologize again to Chris and to all the audience. I hope you all will forgive me. Then people would forgive him. But when you start saying, you know, Brian, 
Well, I came in, uh, Hegseth had this camel on, and you know, I had once had a cousin who wore a camel. I hated the guy, and he used to beat me, and I had to go kill Pete Hegseth that day. I'm sorry. Right. I, I had to hit him at the Pete Patriot Pete did Awards. have a dig at me. Why didn't I hit him? You should, You had the opening. Right. You and had you, the opening. But to the, but the critiques <laughs> that you would have given me wouldn't have been worth it. It's, Raymond Arroyo would call me out on Laura Ingram. I, I would have called you out right now. Right. I just think it's ridiculous. And, it's ridiculous. <laughs> we There is no justification for your pampered, entitled right. violence. And for people who don't want to get your book, there's no justification not to get it. That's how I that feel. That is very true. Uh, uh, the wise men who found Christmas. Again, I'm right again. Just like yeah, we started the same. Always. Saying. The Gallup poll. <laughs> proven right <laughs> once more. The survey yes. never fails. The, outs, uh, the outgrowth of Gallup. That's right. Gallup. <laughs> right. That's little right. Italian. Yeah, they're kind of Italian. I like that. Yeah, it's our people. That's There you go. My people are there. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fact is that when the White House can't just stand up and say what these protesters are doing is good and right and we support them, that's the most basic answer in the world that you ought to be able to give in that moment. And the fact that they can't, Shows you how much our politics have been warped. They have been warped by the priorities of Asia. There you go. That is Ben Dominic Let's night with Laura Ingram. Uh, Let's bring in Jonathan Ward, author of China's Vision of Victory, founder of the Atlas Organization on where China's heading right now. And Jonathan, we just got off talking on TV. Essentially, you got to worry that the that the crackdown is going to really begin in earnest soon. Correct? Yes, that's right. We should expect that to be coming. And what makes you think that this time might be different? They say it's the biggest uprising since 89. Do you figure the same thing? Well, I think what, what's going to happen is they've just trained their um, you know, suppression tactics and, and all of that in Hong Kong. So they're very experienced now with dealing with pretty big, persistent, um, you know, protest movements that, that you know, and, and they've, they've just done that for, for, you know, a couple of years in front of the eyes of the world. So I think we're going to see something similar um, inside China. And, and really the approach that I imagine they would take is to try to take it offline, um, prevent video and and everything else from getting out to the world and then to simply go in and, and do what they did in Hong Kong. Would you, um, whether or not the military gets involved, I think that's probably um, – it depends on what they are able to do with their internal security apparatuses. But that itself is incredibly brutal. You chart uh, China's vision of victory, how it's going to happen. They're going to continue to grow at 8 percent, continue to grow out their military and their influence, and continue to maybe get these capitalist countries to sell their soul uh, for profit. That's not happening now. They're growing at about 4%. they got an unemployment issue. They clearly have a supply chain issue. And they got a COVID issue, which they're making worse. They're not on track, Jonathan. Well, look, China's vision of victory does not depend on 8% growth. I mean, you can grow at 4% on a larger economic base and still be heading for parity with the United States. I remember when I was writing the book, I had to continuously revise up the percentage that they were of the U.S. economy. When my first draft, it was 60%. When I finished it, it was 70 And now they're at about 75% to 80% of the U.S. economy. So they're still growing. Every major bank knows that. That's why they're still in. And we haven't yet taken action to slow that down. They do have problems of their own, but a lot of that is going to be offset by continued Western investment and trade. And let's not forget, they still trade with about 70% of the world's nation as the top trading partner. That's not us. That used to be us. They've taken that position. And people are finding it too hard to get out. So until there's real policy support, until there's real vision on the U.S. side of an end state with China, um, we're just not taking hard enough measures to, um, to separate the economies as they need to be. So is there a way? Is there a way to either separate, compete, or 
come to some type of detente between nations? Well, I, th- I think detente may not be the right thing yet. I mean, we have to go through this period of, of um, essentially diverging the economies, and that's really about technology, um, capital, and then markets. So basically, um, you know, si- significant export controls to keep the technology in the right hands. And this has to happen across the world because, remember, with all kinds of global companies, if we're doing this alone, others will just step in. Then, um, you know, restricting capital uh, into China. I mean, you can look at any major index fund, you know, BlackRock, MSCI, any of it, State Street, and we're still pouring money into companies that are keenly, you know, sort of deeply tied to the regime, even to the military and the, and the human rights sort of abuses on a very regular basis. I guarantee you, Brian, some of your own uh, money is probably in there. You could ask your managers, and that's true for all of us. Um, you know, that's just the way our system is structured because we're not reigning in Wall Street's engagement with China. Um, so, so that needs to be done. That can be done through policy. And then finally, market access. I mean, we're going to have to. You know, we're the world's biggest market, um, but we insist upon doing so much business with this non-market economy. Um, and, you know, as long as we give them access to our markets and don't seek ways to uh, diversify and grow our own companies to fill our own needs, um, we're going to wind up, you know, essentially, uh, that, you know, that's where the, the giant deficit comes from, and that's where they're um, – you know, capital surplus has come from. So so we've got to shut that down and look for other sources. You want to integrate the alliance system, go to other emerging markets and start to taper off from our engagement with China. So do you think that anyone has the vision to pull this off? We're seeing some chips deals happening. We're seeing some people being very aware that pharmaceuticals and PPE are all there. We're seeing other people who are doubling, tripling down, like, for example, Dalio, like, uh, like for example, J.P. Morgan, like for example, Nike, they don't see think that they don't seem to think that all these dangers and worries apply to them. Well, that's the problem, Brian. Is this has to get to the boardroom? I mean, there's you know the way our system is structured, and there's only so much that Washington can do. And until boards and CEOs realize that they can't avoid this competition, that it's coming, that the costs to them are going to be extreme in the long run if they don't act urgently. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a very risky place, as we can see uh, again and again and again. Um, you know, geopolitically, the contest is not going to slow down, uh, regardless of what kind of talking might be going on. Um, you know, at a, at a summit level, I mean, it just doesn't change. Xi Jinping's priorities or those of the Communist Party much more broadly than him. So, um, you see, we're not going to stop it that way. I mean, we really have to do the hard action of economic containment and, um, you know, rebuilding the U.S. industrial base, integrating the alliance system and getting our companies to change course. That's the most important thing in a private economy. Um, and at that point, I mean, you do get to a place where China's growth has changed, its access to the world has changed, and we get into a contest where we can win. And we do want free market capitalism to beat this non-market economy. Um, but it's not going to do that as long as they're able to steal our technology, sell to us, um, and have us dependent on them for many, many of our basic and fundamental needs. And now they're trying to buy farmland and they're trying to get uh, become a surveillance state and infiltrate our colleges, which you could argue has already happened. We began to crack down on them in certain embassies. I know what happened in Houston uh, when they would just basically close that embassy because it was a spying machine. Jonathan, what percentage of the State Department do you believe working there who has significant positions agrees with you? Um, in our State Department, well, I, I think um, I think the awakening is happening. Um, you know, I think we do um, across U.S. government 
there are more and more sort of China-focused departments and, and offices and groups being set up. So I think everybody understands the scale of the problem. But again, we're going to have to do this uh, not only in the government, but as you say, it's the business leaders um, who are going to have to start, um, you know, stop hiding from this contest and and start um, doing the right thing. Because America, um, you know, it's our economy that's going to beat our adversaries in the long run. It's not just our policies. Understood. So when you see this lockdown and this crackdown on the zero COVID policies and the fact that it continues, yet hurts them economically. Dr. Scott Atlas weighed in last night to see in terms of judging how they're handling this. Cut eight. You'd have to really have had a complete Kool-Aid drinking uh, binge to believe that you can eradicate COVID from lockdowns. That's just simply denying the science. I mean, what we're seeing, Steve, uh, are people waking up in a totalitarian society that, frankly, has decided it would rather kill people, starve people, destroy people, rather than have them get a virus. By the way, 90 percent of people in China have been vaccinated. Ninety plus percent of people uh, in most of the world of the civilized Mm -hmm. countries have had covid this is total insanity. Obviously, their vaccine's not effective. No one, no one thinks it is. But what do you think about what, what he said? Well, I, I think it's, this is not just, uh, you know, the lockdowns and everything else. It's not just about uh, controlling COVID. It's not just about the virus. This is about, um, you know, a system of repression that the party has really dreamed of for many decades and has only recently begin, been able to put in practice in a digital sense. And then, you know, being able to lock down entire cities, I think, is is about the, the totalitarian vision of how they call it social management, this idea that they can manage society and control it. It's very obviously different from a human rights-based society or a democracy. Um, and, and that's how it's how it works, and that's how they want it to work. So to some extent, it's about the virus, but I mean, it certainly is. But it's also, I think, the party experimenting with its own forms of control. Uh, so what about their kids? We have our kids have been locked up. We just saw how they've suffered for the last couple of years. What could their kids be actually going through? That's a good question. I'm guessing they are not uh, barricaded in their homes. So allow them to do it. But we haven't heard those stories about them, the infants being taken away from their family because they might test positive or the parents test positive. Uh, the way people are forcibly kept apart, the demand on testing. Don't you think that has a long-term effect or is that the, or, or are we seeing it now with these uprisings? Well, it's, I think there's an interesting theme here because, of course, Xi Jinping's uh, first signature moves in his in his reign were to um, to crack down on corruption, and that was, you know, as I experienced it living there, uh, popular among many people. The idea that someone was going to go and, as they said, catch uh, tigers and flies. I mean, there was support for that. But here, I think the the hypocrisy of the regime is very clear to people, and and just the general suffering. Um, you know, I mean, the the Chinese people had a horrific 20th century under the Communist Party. I mean, 40 million people were killed in famines and pogroms and, and all sorts of things. And, and there's still those who remember that sort of thing, who lived through it, who lived through the Cultural Revolution. Um, there's certainly the Tiananmen generation. I mean, many of the important people there obviously are in exile. But um, there are those who know what this regime is capable of um, through through lived experience. And then today, I think, um, you know, everybody is starting to experience what the brutality looks like. So, I, so that I, is a real change in China. Wherever these protests go, that is a real change. And I just hope we speak up and make it clear where we stand. Jonathan Ward, uh, author of China's Vision of Victory, thanks so much. 
Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. That our moment's going to go on FBN, the fastest growing cable channel in the country. That's going to be great. We're also going to be able to take calls right after that. And also, let me remind you, see me live on stage with a lot of my Fox friends Friday night, New Jersey Performing Arts Center, BrianKilmeade.com. You can get tickets all right now. A few left and some VIP opportunities where I get a chance to talk to you, give you a preview of the show and answer all your questions, the Jamai Fox, the Christmas tree, or anything else. So that'll be great. So when Varney and company comes back, uh, they're going to come over to us. So let's listen in together. 51 on the East Coast, and you know what that means. It's time for Brian Kilmeade. Great to see you, Brian. I want to talk about soccer. Let's get right into it. Iranian journalists took, taking aim at uh, U.S. soccer players during a press conference at the World Cup yesterday. They pressed American Tyler Adams on discrimination here in the U.S., and it comes as Iran reportedly threatened the families of their uh, national soccer team with imprisonment if they don't behave during the match. Now, I'm not particularly surprised by what Tehran gets up to, but what's your reaction? My reaction is there's so many subplots to this game that the U.S. has to win today, even though they tied England and beat the number yeah. six team in the world, which I think is probably better than that. And then uh, Wales was 1-1 yeah. tied, nothing to be ashamed of. But when Iran got a victory over mm-hmm. Wales, mainly because of a red card on, their, on the Wales goalie, they have a very well-coached team. They're going to pack it in and go for the tie. The subplot is the Iranian players have so much courage, they refuse to sing, and a lot of them dip their heads during the national anthem. They're According to another network's reporting, yeah. they threatened their families with imprisonment and torture if they did it again. One of their best players left behind. Uh. He's going to be in jail. And now any protesters, another report, too, the people that showed up in support of the women who are being oppressed in Iran and killed in cold blood in many cases over just about 400 with 18,000 being arrested. If you are protesting in the stadium, the Qatari officials rip you out of your seat. How unbelievable is it that this World Cup is even in this horrible country? You know what's interesting, Brian? Uh, From Iran's point of view, I would imagine the, the, the regime in Tehran are conflicted only because if Iran does, God forbid, draw or win today, I don't think that's going to happen. But if the further Iran goes, the more it puts the spotlight on the protests and what's going on inside Iran, right? Yes. And we have the Ayatollah's niece coming out condemning the Ayatollah. Can you believe this? Grand Ayatollah Khomeini. (sighs) So that's interesting, a subplot. So people are getting bolder and bigger. I just wish our government would speak up in support of the protesters. Barack Obama admitted one mistake I made is not making a bigger stand during the revolution in Iran. He didn't want to become the problem. Kind of took courage for him to admit it. You know, the vice president was Biden. Does he understand that But you stand up? You don't have to go send any forces in. I stand up for the people. What about all these women act female activists that want women's rights? Don't they see these Iranian people, men and women, are standing up for women's rights in Iran? And this 22-year-old was killed because she wasn't wearing the right hijab or wearing it correctly? So because of that, women are being killed. There are so many causes for people to speak up on. First and foremost... I think the, the Tyler Adams was brilliant in his response. He said, I come from a black and white family, black and white communities. I play with all kinds. We're constantly yeah. getting better in America, the discrimination everywhere. I love it. For the longest time, we're watching people put down America in America. I love for them to represent right. us positively overseas because, believe it or not, best country in the world. 
No kidding. Good luck to the team today. Uh, Brian, thank you so much. Great stuff. Always love talking about the World Cup. Thank go, you so much. Go get him, Ashley. Mead on the radio with us. And Ashley, of course, from Britain. And maybe we'll have a rematch in the finals. Uh, we'll see what happens. They get to the knockout stage. For those people not familiar, a lot of people writing me say they stop talking soccer. It's all right. I think it's important. World's most popular game. This is as geopolitical input, impact and as firm for, uh, in terms of participants, either your kids, your nieces, your nephews, your grandkids have played in the past, and now they have a legitimate option. Word is MLS, fastest growing league in the country, could be adding Messi in Miami this year. Pretty cool, I think. Pretty effective, and I think it's also notable. Uh, so there, there's a lot of other stuff going on here. And I was able to uh, not get to the second topic which was the second topic was what's going on in New York with the subway system. It turns out this, this uh, DA, Alvin Bragg, what an embarrassment he is. But people of New York, only 18% voted for Lee Zeldin. So we're stuck with Governor Hochul. And Adams has no real partner to combine with to wipe out crime. Uh, we have major crime and murders up 49%. In terms of assaults, up 40% in our subway since 2019. And they're looking to maybe have overtime to bring people uh, bring cops down there and maybe stop the next crime. Okay, fine. But when you're capturing people in the action, you're going to arrest them. If you do arrest them, they're going to get downgraded to misdemeanor, which means no bail, which means they're out to perpetrate crimes again. That's what we're dealing with in New York City. That was the other topic that Ashley was going to bring up with us. But we did not have the time today. But that is something that... Uh, New York, uh, Chicago's dealing with right now. Charlotte's dealing with right now. Philadelphia's dealing with right now. But I mentioned before about Tyler Adams and how he handled that tough question. I want you to hear him with this hostile Iranian reporter. Cut 18. First of all, you say you support the Iranian people, but you're pronouncing our country's name wrong. Our country is named Iran, not Iran. Please, once and for all, let's get this clear. Second of all, um, are you okay to be representing a country that has so much discrimination against black people in its own borders? My apologies on uh, the mispronunciation of your country. Um, yeah, that being said, you know, there's discrimination uh, everywhere you go. In the U.S., we're, we're continuing to make progress uh, every single day. As long as you see progress, uh, that's the most important thing. See? So, uh, by the way, if you don't know, Tyler Adams, the captain of the team, he's 23, I think. And he is up, came up uh, in this area. He played for the Red Bulls. And now he's, I think he's over in Chelsea and he's standing out. And he's a great player. And he's, he looked black. I think he might have uh, one of his parents might be white. I'm not sure. But he just described America, where I've lived in all different communities. We accept it all. Always trying to get better. Uh, don't you want to be here? And that's why most people are sneaking in to the tune of about $4 million, Because it's better here than anywhere else. The time people that were born here stop taking it for granted. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade.
Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Congressman Michael McCall. I'm sure he's going to be uh, chairman of some House committee now that the Republicans are flipping it. And Bill Bennett's going to be here, uh, the Fox News contributor, former secretary of education under President Reagan, former drug czar under H.W. Bush, author of the Book of Virtues, 30th anniversary edition. So it's been updated. Man, do we need it. I'll talk to Bill Bennett in a matter of moments. Uh, We know this. Herschel Walker's got an appearance today. He is going to be with uh, Ronald McDaniel, shows the RNCs on board. We got, cannot forget that Herschel's got to win. This guy has got to be the balance. And why do I mean by the balance? I know the majority will belong to the Democrats, but the committees will be balanced. And it's going to make it a lot harder for the vice president to be scrambled every single moment. And it was brought up to us, too, that Lindsey Graham says, I looked at a lot of these Democrats. They're not getting any younger. One pulls an ankle, turns, you know, has the flu. Suddenly some votes aren't going to come true. That's if Herschel can prevail in Georgia December 6th. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Are you okay to be representing a country that has so much discrimination against black people in its own borders? You know, there's discrimination uh, everywhere you go. In the U.S., we're we're continuing to make progress. As long as you see progress, uh, that's the most important thing. Tyler Adams talking as captain of the U.S. team against a hostile Iranian journalist. USA versus Iran. At stake, the uh, the U.S. advances with a victory. Iran goes home, home to a hostile country. They've already shown great courage standing up for the protesters in the streets. I wish President Biden would show the same. Number two. Why is it that President Biden would rather let U.S. companies drill for oil in Venezuela than here in the U.S.? That's uh, not an accurate take uh, on the president's view. Really? Uh, Admiral Kirby, oil and gas going and going green. The Biden administration's agenda is going green, right? But for the drill, they want other nations to do that. Uh, Kirby's justification dealing with Venezuela is a joke, just like not supporting rioters in Brazil and have put a convicted criminal back in the presidency. Number one. This is the first time in 33 years that we've now seen nationwide protests. And it's not just a problem or the challenge for Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party is it's moved from just a one issue COVID issue to now a call for his removal and for regime change. China's insane COVID lockdown results in an unprecedented series of nationwide riots. What should the U.S. say and do for President Biden? No action is his action. Uh, Joining us now is uh, Bill Bennett. Bill, is that the right thing to do? We don't want to get involved in other people's politics, but do you think we have a right to speak up for those people in the streets asking for freedom and liberty? Yeah, occasionally take the case of Ronald Reagan. Uh, Ronald Reagan spoke up for the Soviet dissidents. You remember they were tapping on the walls of the prisons and the Soviet Union. You know, Reagan's with us. Reagan's going to deliver us. And you know what happened? Um, it happened without uh, without World War III. So uh, this is one to pick. I can't get out of my head. I know it was on your show or somebody else's show, Brian, but uh, the great uh, Mike Gallagher, the, uh, the congressman, not the radio host. They're both great. But uh, Mike Gallagher, Captain Marine Corps, served with my son or my son served with him. Uh, you know, said, I, I just can't get it out of my head. They were using welders to weld the, the parts in these apartment buildings to make sure people could not get out. I mean, it's unbelievable. If we can't speak up about that and about the Uyghurs, uh, we can't speak out. In the past, you know, we I think it was the uprising in Hungary uh, in 56. Yep. The yep. tanks rolled in, but we spoke for them. We know we we're going to get into World War 67. Was it the Czechoslovakia, something similar? We yep, always yep, knew yep, where we, yep. the world knew where we stood. 
was right. the fact that it still happened. Does it show it failed? Uh, well, the show what's failed that the that the uprising was suppressed in Hungary. That the uprising was suppressed in Czechoslovakia in '67. Uh, well, yeah, but uh, you know, then came the then came the revolution, uh, and uh, you know that was brought about by set uh, the table. Right, that's right. Set the table. So you got you can't just stand up and say we're for freedom of expression. I mean, what an empty kind of you know inane comment that is. Get behind these people. Um, good Lord, you know, if you can topple this regime, this can really change the world. I'm frightened right now because I think we're at our most vulnerable uh, with this president. Uh, and uh, to decrease that vulnerability with a shift in uh, China would be would be something. Is the crackdown coming? Are they just letting them out? people demonstrate for a little while, then they're going to get really tough? I don't know. Uh, I would say this. I, I was looking at uh, what people are saying over this. Miles Yu, a senior fellow director of the China Center at the Hudson sure. Institute, told Fox sure. that uh, – uh, after the burning death of 10 people, they just let these people burn because I guess they were positive for COVID. They were under quarantine. People yeah, saw this yeah. and said, that's it. That's the breaking point. So they said the previous protests were mostly from the lower part of the social stratification, right, right. the migrant workers. Yeah. They are the social dispossessed. This time, primarily, it's led by what you may call middle class people who own properties. He added that the recent right. protests have a much broader base on the society. So this may be about more than just the crackdown on COVID. This might just be the latest and most brutal. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Gordon Chang, our friend, too. You know, Gordon uh, has talked about the coming China crack up. Uh, Maybe this is it. We can hope so. But we can sure put in stronger support and say more uh, than we have said so far. It's so embarrassing to be so timid. I know it is. Uh, Does it make any sense to you? To deal with Venezuela at this point? No. God, what are we doing? Insane. It's crazy. Uh, I mean, you know, this is, a again, I mean, what do we do? Just pick the worst countries in the world uh, and and then decide to go on, on bended knee? Venezuela is a terrible place. Uh, and the oil, by the way, is very dirty, as I understand it, uh, compared to American oil. But, uh, you know, we can't do this. And then there's this excuse about, well, so many permits have been issued. But the, these guys can't get money from the banks. The oil companies can't get the loans uh, because they're, the, the banks are looking at the future and they're listening to the president. You know, it's the end of fossil fuel. So, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a terrible situation. We can be energy independent and, uh, and help uh, others in our own hemisphere. Uh, I'm sorry, this administration, I think, is going down as one of the worst in American history. Well, I, the thing is, how do you explain the American people were not willing to turn the page on so many of these bad policies? We know in the House it, it does know. flip, but not by a great margin. But Governor Whitmer, okay. after the lockdown in Michigan, uh, gets to I keep know. her job. Is that insane? Yeah, no, it is. I, I don't know. I've been trying to figure this out. But, you know, I, one conclusion I come to, I'd love to know what you think is that they do play this game a lot better than we do. You know, by the time Dr. Oz showed up in Pennsylvania and on Election Day as voters, Fetterman already had three or 400,000 mail-ins. And, you know, I don't know if they're all legitimate mail-ins or not. I kind of doubt it. But let's not, let's not get, get sidetracked by that. Democrats know how to do this, and we need to learn how to do this thing better. So disappointing, uh, this, uh, this last election. I hate to draw the conclusion that the American people are indifferent to their own suffering. 
I would hate to join that too. So let's talk about the uh, the reintroduction of your wild uh, bestseller, uh, the Book of Virtues. And so this is the, the Book of Virtues 30th anniversary edition. What have you added to it, Bill? Well, we've got it's about a third uh, new stories, uh, stories that have you know been in the news some, uh, and uh, you know other things that we have found from readers sending in suggestions. People have wanted to add to the Book of Virtues ever since it came out in '93, uh, and uh, so we have uh, we have done so. Uh, we have an up to date introduction. God, if we needed it uh, then, I think we need it now. We said then that you know confidence in the schools was flagging that uh, families were a lot of families weren't in great shape. Now there's real worries about whether schools are teaching the right things. Uh, the families are still not sure. The technological age is encourage some parents to say, well, you know, we, we don't know. We don't understand that stuff. You know, I can't fix my TV. I don't understand how to get a channel. Good luck, kids. There's nothing we can teach you. That just ain't true. There's a lot uh, that we have to teach them. Uh, and uh, one, one of the essential things is the virtues, uh, courage and honesty uh, and self-discipline and work, the value of work. Uh, that's the one I'm focusing on particularly Brian, you know this this statistic of 7 million men, 25 to 55, able-bodied, not looking for work. Uh, And Nick Eberstadt says, uh, he's done the research, they're spending time in front of screens, TV, but other video screens, video games, and using a lot of drugs. Um, If we ever needed a dose of virtue, we need it now. So also, it's a lot of people, and I'm, I'm one of them, learn more from stories than axioms, than statements. Show me the story, and then I see how I can relate to it and see what's done. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. We got got one new story in there called What Bradley Owed. And uh, Bradley, a little boy, made a list uh, to his mother. You know, he said, I I cleaned the, 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 the dishes, and I mowed the lawn, and I took the dog for a walk. Uh, you owe me uh, $8.75. His mother didn't give him 8.75. She wrote a note back. She said, when you're sick, I stayed up all night with you. Uh, when you needed help on homework, I uh, helped you do your science project. On and on, she writes, and she says, you owe me $34.80. It's a great little story. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it, we have simple ones like that. And then we have more complicated ones as the chapters go on. Each chapter begins with a very simple story uh, and uh, ends with a, a richer, more complex story. But they all teach the same lessons about virtues. And uh, can't count on the schools to do that anymore. Uh, and um, so I think the need for the book, Book of Virtues, 30th Anniversary Edition, is there. And the need for my wife to help me do it was certainly there. Um, so it's Bill and Elaine Bennett, and I was delighted to have her input. Yeah, what a great Christmas present too if you think about it. Uh it's just so perfect now. If you want to if you're unhappy with things go in society, well, start with your family. And then if you don't think you have all the answers, maybe this book does. It's called The Book of Virtues 30th Anniversary Edition. Bill Bennett here. Bill, lastly before I let you go, I'm just reading today and the sentiment's growing that Joe Biden's going to run again at the age of 82. And they're going to make him like a statesman. He's not going to have to go everywhere. He's going to have fundraisers more in Delaware and around than traveling across the country to raise money. He's going to have a lot of surrogates working for him, uh, going out and, and sharing his policies. Do you think that'll work? No, I don't think it's worked now. I think he's stumbling uh, more of, uh, every day. 
But I, I, don't, I don't know what they do, though, because if he doesn't run, how do they bypass Kamala Harris, you know, with the, with the, with the base of the Democratic Party? But, um, you know, uh, it, no, I don't think it will work. I still have my doubts that he'll finish a term. Uh, I think he's uh, declining, declining every day. We just have to get the right candidate up up against him. And uh, I love Donald Trump, but he ain't it. That's not the time now. Uh, he should take his legacy and embrace it uh, and, uh, you know, give it over to the next generation. Does he realize that? No, no, I don't think he does. But uh, those of us who are fairly close to him, I'm fairly close to him, uh, should tell him so. And uh, and, and and so I have been doing. Um, you know, he, he did he was did great things for this country and should embrace that legacy. But I don't think he can win. There are just an awful lot of people, Brian, who will not vote for Donald Trump no matter what, rational or irrational. Uh, count the numbers. we got to be a little cold-hearted here. I'm very grateful for what he did for this country. Uh, and uh, I hope uh, he embraces that legacy and uh, steps steps out of the nomination. Very process. interesting. A lot of people do. I just also think they got let up on these ridiculous what they're doing in New York, what they're doing with these defamation suits, what they're doing with his looking oh, at his course, business. I've never seen anything like it. Don't you think that's part of their plan to uh, draw sympathy to Trump from the conservatives and and then to push him into the nomination and get him the nomination could be uh, it could be could it just be. it's a hard thing to pull off though the attorney general uh, they, they, yeah they play complicated games the Democrats and we seem kind of ham-fisted. I can't argue with you especially at the results of this last election but again it's a, a split decision uh, let's see if Herschel can rally and that'll be you get the house you get the uh, you 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 win that special election and then you have momentum. Uh, for the next term. We'll see what happens. Uh, Bill Bennett, congratulations yeah. on the book. Thanks. Georgia wins the SEC. Herschel Walker wins that uh, wins that prize. What is this 80 minutes of 0-0 when you celebrate? Kind of <laughs> 90 that, minutes. Brian? 90 no, I've minutes. I've been listening to you. 90 minutes, then you go out and drink a lot of beer, the score is 0-0. What well, kind of sport is that? You don't understand the dramas that go on within it, Bill. You, you guys, you're so new. You're so American centric. You don't understand the world I game. Know. Oh, I know, I know. I really am. It's terrible. I'm but so listen, Bill, I'm going to have you back, and this we're going to do. You're going to watch the game today at, at two, and then you're going to yeah, say, I Brian, thrilly, I got to talk to Brian Kilmeade again because I'm going to reform my my review of soccer after watching the U.S. beat Iran. Okay, but if it's 110 minutes and it's zero zero. I'm not calling you. I'm not. I understand. That means the U.S. doesn't get through, so you shouldn't. Bill Bennett, thanks so much. (laughs) All right. uh, Listen, I just got yelled at by Bill Bennett. That's not sure that telling me soccer is bad in a tie is part of his book of virtues. But everything else in his book is great. Uh, Listen, when we come back, I'm going to take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Don't move. Uh, Then at the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to Congressman Michael McCall. How does he feel about our foreign policy patty cake with some evil regimes? Don't move. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The word on the street is that you guys aren't allowed to be liberal anymore. Is that is that the case? I don't think we ever were liberal. What? Yes. I don't think we ever were that, liberal. Not me saying that. That's the people out there saying that he's not letting you be liberal anymore. Well, I, listen, I think that I think what Chris is saying is that he wants Republicans 
sensible Republicans. He wants us to hold people to account, but he wants people to come on and feel comfortable with coming on and talking on, on CNN. How unbelievable is that? Even Colbert sounded surprised. <laughs> he was like, what? <laughs> it was great. And Chris Licht is the new guy in charge of CNN who was running the Colbert Report, who was running CBS this morning. Who was running Morning Joe. Who was running Morning Joe. I mean, his career is sort of incredible. Yeah, so bouncing, he's bouncing all around. But I don't know how much power he has on over CNN. The word is they hired a guy above him just to cut the thing up and just cut, get in under budget for the shareholders. And they don't really care what happens to CNN, which is nuts, I thought. And word is that MSNBC is getting pushed to be more normal, more uh, moderate and less left-wing-ish. But I find that hard to believe. I mean, every time I flip over there, it doesn't seem to have changed at all. In fact, the only thing that changes, Joe Scarborough used to be a Republican. It depends on the topics that they're talking about. Um, I will say, as you hear on the show, right, when they talk foreign policy, they have some really interesting conversations. We'll pull those cuts when I hear them. But anything domestic, for the most part, is is very far left. Anything Donald Trump. They ever say Donald Trump had a good point? Ever? Maybe once, but I can't recall any time. Right. Every now and then. I mean, which is unbelievable because a lot of his policy is flat out conservative. And you could just say, hey, listen, I don't like the way he delivered it. I don't like the speech, but I like what he did. Looked at the Abraham Accords. Looked at his policy when it came to uh, Venezuela or China. Uh, this trade deal ends up being better. The USMCA was better than uh, NAFTA, you know, he, he did seven or eight tra- trade deals. Most of them were worked out. He should have done the one in the U.K. And then just say, well, I don't like Donald Trump. And he has lunch with the wrong people and dinner with even crazier people. But they never even tried to balance it out. So we'll see what happens next uh, during the midterms. Uh, now we have the midterms and the new Congress to deal with. It's going to be a lot harder, a lot harder to be negative when a lot of this legislation that passed and things that happened are going to bring you a different direction. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What is the president's reaction when he hears protesters in China chant freedom or Xi Jinping step down? The president's not going to speak for protesters uh, around the world. They're speaking for themselves. And so there's no reaction? This, the, the, these protesters are speaking for themselves. What we are doing is making it clear that we support the right of peaceful protest. Uh, that is the inexcusable line from the press department at the White House. Uh, joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Michael McCall. Congressman, I'm disappointed. I mean, I understand you got to be diplomatic. I understand you got to deal with a oppressive regime. I get it. Doesn't help to blow up relationships. But to me, he's hedging. No, completely. I, that, that response, and by the way, Brian, it's great to be on your show. Um, yeah. I, that response was so weak. And that's defined this whole administration. They projected weakness, you know, whether it be Putin, whether it be, you know, Chairman Xi in China and the Ayatollah and North Korea. Uh, what I would have said is we celebrate this protest. Uh, that the emperor, uh, Emperor Xi, as he got elected by the Congress, ha- has no clothes. The emperor has no clothes now, because what it demonstrates to me is that the the people of China don't support this oppressive communist dictatorship, and that's fundamental. Um. So when this is happening, is this also an opportunity for us not only to get on the right side of this for freedom and liberty, but when you have 15 provinces showing an uprising and a discontent? 
Uh, colleges are now disbanded, so they're glad to go home so they can go study remotely because they can't really can control what's happening there. They got uh, security forces on subways and trains trying to look at people's phones. Is this also an opportunity? Yeah, 100%. I mean, we, you know, Reagan used the voice of America to defeat the Soviet Union, and we have this opportunity both in China and in Iran to do the same thing, to stand up for the people themselves for democracy and freedom, which is what our country stands for. Um, so I think it's an amazing opportunity, and, and, and it shows how the Chairman Xi really doesn't have the stranglehold on the people of China, and that perhaps we can get them off this, this glide path to of the potentially invading Taiwan and the South China Sea, which is going to be a really big blow to the world if that happens. And so uh, I, I think it really hurts Chairman Xi's status, uh, both at, at home and, and globally, uh, and we should be taking you know, complete advantage. It also shows, you know, why is this occurring? Well, because they've been oppressed for so long, but also they, their response to COVID has not been adequate. Uh, it also demonstrates that lockdowns are not the answer. Lockdowns don't always work, and they're not working in China for a variety of reasons. You know, I was with the the, uh, the COVID director uh, on Sunday talking about this. They they don't have the immunity response that we do. They don't have uh, – their vaccine is a- absolutely inadequate, uh, and they're going to go into a winter where they're going to have hundreds of thousands of people uh, possibly dying from COVID. So their socialist health care system fails. Their lockdown fails, and their oppressive communist regime, regime is a failure. Uh, and I just think this is one opportunity for Democrats and Republicans. A lot of times I catch you, you guys are saying the same thing. I watched Senator Schumer hailing the chips deal. You know, it's a way to start decoupling from the country. This might be an opportunity, Congressman McCall, for you to say for reasonable people on the other side. Can we get on the same page here? Can we rally the American public to understand we have to sacrifice maybe paying a little bit more for products to bring manufacturing to a friendlier country or back to our country? Do you see it the same way? Uh, you know, 100 percent. And that, that's, um, you know, I'll be the incoming chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, I introduced the Chips for America Act two and a half years ago at the advice of Secretary Pompeo and Wilbur Ross and National Security Advisor O'Brien. It was really Trump's national security team's idea to get us off of this uh, you know, chip manufacturing in Taiwan. I mean, you know, they, they, they manufacture 90 percent of the advanced semiconductor chips globally in Taiwan, very vulnerable to China. You know, my mantra is let's start manufacturing in the United States not in countries vulnerable to the CCP. Uh, and that starts with critical supply chains like semiconductors. Um, that was a bipartisan bill, by the way. And I think to your, your point, there, uh, this, you hear this rhetoric on both sides of the aisle that communist China is the greatest threat uh, to the United States and the free world. Yeah, I would love to see it. I mean, it looks like when when they steamrolled Hong Kong, it looks like a lot of finance went to Singapore. It looks like a lot of manufacturing can go to Vietnam. And the perfect move would be to move a lot of, to Central America, where you got the hardworking people with no opportunity. But, That's uh, right. And, and it would just be the perfect move that I think these – we're seeing the work ethic of a lot of these illegal immigrants. They come here. They're good people. They're just doing it the wrong way. And you see how hard they work, and you think to themselves, if they had opportunity to stay in their own country, man – uh, we could solve so many problems. Um, and, yeah, it creates jobs. It creates investment in the United States. And we're already seeing with the chips bill, you know, Samsung in my state, $250 billion expansion. Intel, the same thing, Micron, Texas Instruments. We're seeing a 
massive, you know, it, it's great. We're focusing on man, made in America, right? Not made in China. So I want you to hear what else John Kirby said yesterday about oil and gas. You being from Texas, this must have really uh, stuck out to you. Cut 12. Does the president think there's some benefit to the climate to drill oil in Venezuela and not here? No, it has nothing to do with the benefit to the climate, Peter. Again, there are 9,000 unused permits here in the United States on federal land that oil and gas companies can and should take advantage of. 9,000. Uh, and we're talking about one there in Venezuela. What do you say to those unused leases and that, that farcical argument? Yeah, when I talk to the energy companies, they say, look, there are permits out there, but they're you know, long term. A lot of these permits are not productive. And, and the fact is, because this presence creates so much uncertainty in the marketplace, the investors are moving away from, you know, traditional fossil fuels. And, you know, LNG, by the way, is a very clean form of energy. And we should have been exporting LNG to Europe rather than allowing, you know, waiving the Nord Stream 2 sanctions that I imposed. Uh, the president waives that to allow Putin to connect his pipeline into Europe. Europe should be dependent, working with the United States, not be dependent on Russian energy. This has been a failed energy policy. And to, to your point, and now, now we're favoring Venezuelan oil over American oil. We're favoring OPEC oil over American. This reminds me of Jimmy Carter in 1979. We have to go beg the Saudis to produce more energy, and it makes us vulnerable. We are energy independent, and now we're energy dependent. And that's that's a bad place to be. And if you look at the environmental hurdles and if you look at the fact that there's so much divesture from oil and gas industry. And remember, President Biden continues to speak the truth when he says this. No more drilling. There is no more drilling. I haven't formed any new new drilling. Because most of those permits were listed and given during previous administrations. And you know that's exactly what he's doing. And for Kirby to go up there as a, a military officer and, and say something like that to me, I found, I found so uh, uh, insulting. Well, it, it, was just, uh, it was a misrepresentation, if not a lie. And I think the president, you know, God, God love him, I guess given his older age, he's basically speaking the truth. There is no more drilling. And he's right about that. And that is the truth. And, you know, it, but it's a sad commentary because, as you know, our energy security is related to our national security. And it always has been. Right. And, and if we're going to be dependent now on Venezuela and we're going to be dependent on, on the Middle East again and our foreign nation adversaries, it makes America weak. And that's been my criticism of this administration is they project weakness, not strength, as Reagan talked about, peace through strength. It's always been projecting weakness. Yeah. And this energy policy is, is – you know, top of the list. So just tell me about if I'm overstating this. This guy Lula is a criminal. He should never have run for president. He's 74 years old. He now won an election, seems to be corruptly. At least the people of Brazil think so. These are the biggest uprisings in the history of South America taking place. We're ignoring it. And we're backing the wrong guy. This guy trained under Castro, worships Castro. He's a communist. Bolsonaro is affiliated with Trump. So Biden praises Lula. Yet we're ignoring these riots. If we give up Brazil, we give it to China. What do you What do you see with your intelligence, Congressman McCall? Uh, I, I see exactly as you do, and I think this is again a, a failed foreign policy. Where, oh my God, you know what we're seeing in, in Latin America is 
a bit of a wake-up call. We're seeing, you know, these countries falling to socialism, <clears throat> which is driven by, if you look at who's in Latin America right now, three of our foreign nation adversaries. China is in there big time. Uh, Iran and Russia are in there. And when you see countries like Venezuela, Nicaragua, uh, and now Brazil falling to the socialists, and then Colombia, you know, the president is, was, a, you know, supportive of, of the FARC, a terrorist organization. Uh, you know, the Panama Canal has point, uh, ports on both sides of it that are owned by the Chinese. They are in our backyard. And I think we need a new uh, modernized Monroe Doctrine here. And we got to start paying attention to our own backyard because you're right. Um, if it starts falling to socialism and to our foreign nation adversaries, uh, this is not halfway around the world. This is right next door. It is. And, Congressman, do you feel as though you have a partner on the other side that understands this? It's not hard. Uh, understand who's, who, what's in our favor and what isn't. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there are, uh, you know, intelligent uh, people on the other side of the aisle who understand this. And it's going to be important that we, you know, when it comes to foreign policy and national security, it's always better if we speak with one voice. Uh, as Americans, and and that's going to be one of my goals. And I think anybody that you know has half a brain can look in our own hemisphere, see what's happening, uh, that this is not going in the right direction. And uh, we need to we need to speak in a unified voice on this because countries do pay attention to us, uh, believe it or not. When we say things on the Foreign Affairs Committee, it gets picked up internationally, and they do pay attention to what Congress thinks, and they obviously what the president says. And when the president's wrong, we need to call him out on it. I think they're very wrong on this foreign policy. When it comes to what's happening at the border right now, Title 42 is about to go away. What replaces it? Uh, Nothing. And uh, as I see it, and, you know, Brian, I've I've done the border work when I was a federal prosecutor, counterterrorism, when I chaired the Homeland Security Committee. I've never seen it this bad. Uh, It is so wide open. And, you know, the, the saddest thing, it was self-inflicted. When the president rescinded remain in Mexico, which required them to remain in Mexico pending their political asylum claims, which is a brilliant plan. I worked with the prior administration to get there with the migrant protection protocols, and it was working. <clears throat> and in the stroke of a pen, he rescinded this and opened up the border to the cartels who now have operational control. It's the biggest human trafficking event I've seen in my lifetime, not to mention the, the tremendous amount of fentanyls coming in, which, by the way, are coming from China, which is a great foreign policy for them, and killing our youngest generation. You know, 75,000 have died this year alone. If you put it in perspective, that's how many we lost in Vietnam in two decades. I, I just don't understand why the answer is to ignore it, and that was okay, judging by the midterm election results. Uh, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about Afghanistan and the failure of that evacuation. And we left Americans and Afghan partners behind and put the Taliban in charge. I mean, they just don't want to talk about their failures. And the problem is there are too many of them now. At the risk of wearing you out, by the way, the, re, the Remain in uh, Mexico policy has worked for the Venezuelans. The minute they did that, the Venezuelans were stuck. The message went out to slow down, and it has. But when they were told only 60 are getting through, there was riots on the border yesterday. That's right. I mean, it does work, and we saw it working because it turns off the spigot, and the cartels know our laws, and they know how to exploit them. But if you have to remain in the country uh, and not touch foot in the United States where you're released, 
Uh, only, you know, 85% of those claims are not legitimate. So, only 15%. Of course. Uh, some on the right are against the continued funding of Ukraine, and I understand the frustration because we have bills here. I see a huge benefit to taking one of our enemies down to its knees and exposing him for the hollow tiger that they are. Uh, but I, there is frustration, I think, with you, too, from watching some of your interviews, that we're not giving them everything they need. Like, why are we not giving them the attackums and just saying yeah. pledge not to hit inside Russia? Why are we not giving them fighter jets as long as we, we give them some parameters to let them defend themselves? But innocent people are being targeted. It's not army against army in almost any other place except the Donbass region, right? This has been my biggest frustration with the administration is, you know, I, I argued put weapons in prior to the invasion as a deterrence, and they would not do that. It was too provocative. Then after the invasion, you know, the Stinger missiles, oh, it's too provocative. Well, they finally put those in. And then then go to the Javelins, which are like, yeah, you know, basically they, they put them on these drones and they, they're explosive. They're anti-tank. Uh, um, they wouldn't do those. And then finally they put those in. And then the HIMARS, the shorter range artillery they wouldn't put those in but then they finally did they've been dragging this thing out with one hand tied behind our backs um i was with general mcdonough at 82nd airborne when the 50 miles of russian tanks were stuck in the mud i said does this frustrate you and he said sir i'm trained to kill and but that's not my job here i'm just a logistics guy but one just one you know a10 warthog would have taken out 50 miles of russian tanks this is an investment because when I'm in Poland, they talk about 1939. I think if we'd stopped Hitler uh, at that point in time, it would have saved a lot of lives and a lot of money, blood and treasure. Finally, your point on the attack of these are the longer-range artillery. It's the only way that the Ukrainians can hit the Iranian drones that are positioned in Crimea. These are the drones that are causing all the bloodshed of innocent civilians in Ukraine right now, and they can't hit it because the administration – doesn't want them launched into Russia. Well, they've never used anything we've given them to fire into Russia, unless you think Crimea is Russia, which it's not. It was stolen by the Russians yeah. in violation of international law. That was an unbelievable and, statement. And, I know the Crimea. We don't want to hit Crimea. Really? Uh, it was taken in 2014. Um, exactly. Keep fighting, uh, Congressman. I'm so glad you're going to be in the majority and have a voice of reason, because even the other networks have to book you because you'd make too much sense. Congressman Michael McCall, <laughs> thanks so much. Thanks, thanks, Brian. I appreciate that. You got it. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Oprah's not embarrassed by her wealth at all. She loves showing it off on Instagram. It's f***ing mind-blowing. You, When you follow her on Instagram, you see her estates, her gardens, the people who service her. And, you know, service her? She's not a car. Well, she kind of <laughs> is. She's got uh, servants and, like, people cooking. and It's wild. She knows how to be rich. But she doesn't. She kind of likes to show it off. Which is something I'm not comfortable with. I don't think that well, people should show up there well. Let's put it this way. Oprah's just showing you her life. She's not showing off. Well, you got to be a little self aware and know that there are people <laughs> struggling out there, Robin. You got to. You got to kind of think about people who don't have to eat. I have no problem with Oprah showing what she has. I really don't. She's earned everything. 
I've been, never met her, but I have no problem. What is wrong with that? And she's not saying, oh, look at my grand estate. It's beautiful. She's out in her garden picking her vegetables, and you happen to see everything opulent in the background. Right. Right? Uh, I have no problem. I mean, that's just it. Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous was actually successful. Entertainment Tonight, actually successful. Access Hollywood, actually successful. Because people say, wow, they're rich, they're famous. What do they live like? So should Oprah pretend she lives in his small shack at the beach? That would be totally wrong. And she does all the charity stuff, and then she still gets, you know, guff for, you know, she didn't do enough for the schools in Africa. Wow. Uh, go to BrianKilme.com. Find out how to see me Friday night. I'm going to have so many surprises. Brian Kilme live on stage, New Jersey Performing Arts Center. Get them now. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.